0: Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You are listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary.
1: How do we find them, and what do we do with them? Several weeks ago in The Scent Life, we talked about immigration in the United States, we talked about prayer walking, and now if we bring those together, uh, it helps us as we frame up our ministry in our area among those who are not just like us. Welcome to The Scent Life. Hey Keelan.
0: Hey Scott. How are you? I'm all right. You? I'm
1: good. Semester's landing like an airplane.
0: It's, it is. Uh, let's hope it doesn't crash land like an airplane.
1: <laughs> I don't think that it will. I think we've got a good bunch of students. I think we're gonna have a great semester and a great That's end. That's right. Hey, look, man, so today we want to bring together several different themes from podcast over the past month or so.
0: Yeah, that's right. So if you all who are listening have been kind of tuning in with us for this whole season, uh, you heard a few weeks back, uh, Dr. Dobb and I, we actually took to task this idea of evangelism cross-culturally cult- done here in the U.S. because we have such uh, kind of... Pace-setting immigration now, Mm. that being able to engage cross-culturally is a real live thing. We talked about diaspora missions was the term that we used to describe it at that time. And said that this is actually something that anybody in a church can really engage in. You don't have to have been a missionary to engage your cross-cultural neighbor with the gospel. Instead, you just need to be able to be a learner, right? So we had that, that conversation. Add to that, the last couple of weeks we've spent talking about the practical matters of evangelism. We talked about the need to have tools and mastering some of those to be able to engage in these gospel conversations. And then we talked about prayer walking and said, hey, here are some initial first steps to get out into an area that would be uh, potentially mission-rich. And pray for those opportunities to be able to share the gospel with others that are around you. Now Let's squeeze all that together and talk about what it looks like for us to do that among the foreign-born that we find here. So how do we engage in cross-cultural ministry? What are the first steps to do it? And that's that's really where we want to run today.
1: Yep, yeah, that's exactly right. So we're thinking about how do we how do we bring together all of these conversations into this really um, kind of key single element. That's not the only way that we can do evangelism. Certainly. But we want to show you how to bring these uh, different tools and conversations into one particular dimension of missions and evangelism, you know the the name of our podcast is the Sent Life, and so the theme of our of of every uh, episode that we do, not just this season, is that we live our life uh, as those who are sent by our missionary God, and in doing that, it then means that we live our life from a missionary perspective and a missionary vantage point. No matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, we're God's people own God's mission. And here, particularly, how do do we how do, how does this apply when we're thinking about ministering among those that aren't just like us? And so, Keelan, one of the questions that we ask is, well, how does a church begin a type of ministry uh, that really discovers and finds these people? I mean, it's one thing for me to go to, say, an ethnic restaurant or to end up, say, in a gas station or someone where there's someone behind the counter who I know is not uh, from the same place that I'm from or where I'm from, but but on a on a better sense for engaging in ministry, how is it that we can actually begin to find and begin to locate peoples and neighborhoods and communities in a way that empowers us to be effective in ministry?
0: Yeah, so there's the there's the key question to this issue, isn't it? Uh, a lot of times when you talk to local churches and they hear some of the stats or they they may have seen that new right. Indian restaurant in town or they may have driven by that mosque and thought, oh. I Guess we've got you know people that are from some very different least reached place right. that are here now. Well, what do we do about it? Uh, one of the first things that, and this is a thing that most people just naturally feel, anyways. One of the first things we have to deal with is the fact that uh, those people, uh, those that uh, foreign born group from wherever that may have landed nearby where you are, right. uh, they occupy the same neighborhood oftentimes. Mm but completely different circles than we do. And so there's really no points of contact between their community and your community, even though you may be nearby each other. So one of the things we've got to figure out how to do is get that local church's community to intersect with the community that it's trying to engage. When we talk about uh, international mission strategy, uh, the IMB has their core missionary task, right? Right. And the first step is... Entry. entry. And so, really, what we're talking about here is how does a church create an entry strategy to engage in a particular community uh, that may exist in their area of some kind of foreign born peoples? Let's say it's South Asian Indians that are in your area. We've got a, a ton of South Asian Indians who are here in the Raleigh area in the Triangle. And so, what would it look like for a church to start to engage into that community? Well, in order to answer this issue, I tend to say to a church, it's a lot simpler than you may think that it is. Hmm. We often want to run toward, oh, I, I need to find some kind of cultural anthropologist or I need to get some census data and try to do some kind of high-level strategy. No, you don't actually need to do hmm. any of that. That stuff's helpful. It's beneficial, but it, it's not the end all and be all of how you do this. In fact, it's much simpler than that. There's really only two questions okay. that we need to be able to ask. Uh, this is kind of true of mission strategy development in any sense, uh, but there's two questions that a church needs to think through. Okay, It's as simple as this. Question one who's here. Hmm. Question two, what do we do when we find them?
1: Okay, so I'm have got. So i a church pastor or I'm a lay person in a church. I'm convinced, I'm convicted. Uh, perhaps my curiosity is piqued by those in my community. Maybe something new has happened, a new building, a new restaurant, mm-hmm. or maybe all of a sudden I've been prayer walking and I'm aware of a new thing that's happening right. here. Now I'm thinking, What do I do next? And you're saying that my what do I do next really boils down to these two questions. Yeah,
0: it sure does. So who's here and what do we do when we find them? And there's a beautiful relationship between those two questions when it's done well.
1: All right. Talk to me about how to do it well from the perspective of I've never done this before. Sure.
0: So done well, answering question one leads to actually doing question two. So Mm. if we answer question one in the right way, who's here— then it naturally leads to being able to answer the second question well. and So here's the way I tend to talk about that. Okay. The answer to question one is discovery. We've okay. got to do some discovery work. And the answer to question two is engagement. What does it look like to actually engage these people with the gospel? So discovery done well naturally leads to engagement. How do you do discovery well, though?
1: I don't know. Why that's, don't you tell us? Taylor? That's the
0: question that sits in front of us. So uh, a while back, I'll give you guys some, some experience that we were involved in here in Southeastern. Right. We, we had a, a thing we did. We called it the People's Next Door Project. We got involved with a state convention in Virginia, North American Mission Board. We were trying to figure out. We knew that this diaspora thing was an issue, and we needed to engage somehow in finding where all these different uh, unreached groups were, in one of our major metro areas so that we could develop a mission strategy to engage in the work. So here we were put at the task. You had one of our our missions agencies. You had a state convention and one of our seminaries saying, what are we going to do about it? Uh, So we picked D.C., Washington, D.C., as a place to pilot uh, a research uh, project for people group discovery. And I went up there for about a year and took a a team of of folk to do some research. Well, when we got there, the realization landed on us that we're in a greater than six million person metro. Mm -hmm. We've got a little less than a year to figure out how to map that we knew hundreds of people groups that existed in this area. We just didn't know where any of them were, where to start, we had no data. Um, Just some rough information from the census about total foreign-born numbers that we found out were radically low. Uh, Now, as we were up there, we started trying to ask the question, how would one – Without having a background in cultural anthropology right. or any of those kind of things, try to figure out where all these people were. So, we'll, how would a normal person how would a normal person do this exactly? We were sitting at Starbucks one day. Where normal people Where sit. normal people, normal people sit. Uh right outside the archives actually. So the National Archives is this neat little Starbucks. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's sitting over there in the corner, and it was getting about time for lunch. So mm-hmm. I think you know ten thirty or so, getting hungry, kind of fretting over how in the world we're going to get involved in this work.
1: You are an old man if you eat lunch at 10.30.
0: Well, I'm starting to get hungry at 10.30. That's okay. not eating lunch. you gotta, you got to prep and plan for these things because okay. lunch is at 11. I am an old man. Um, so we're sitting there thinking to ourselves, well, I'm getting hungry. How in the world are we going to do this work? We don't know, but I'm hungry. So I've got an iPad in front of me and this was back long enough ago that there was an app called Urban Spoon. It's long since gone, but the whole (laughs) point of the app was trying to find good restaurants in big cities. (laughs) And so I looked on the app and started trying to find a restaurant. I'm, you know, we're new to DC. We don't know anything. What's a good place to eat? One of the categories in the restaurant or one of the categories in the restaurant options was Ethiopian food. Okay. And so I'm like, well, that's weirdly specific. And I Tap the button on Ethiopian food and the map on my screen populated with about 30 or 40 pushpins for Ethiopian restaurants. Wow. And as you looked at the map, there was a cluster over here and a cluster there. And then this area where there was none at all and a realization hits. Well, that's probably where we can go to find the Ethiopians. Interesting. And so what we started doing at that point was a very simple process of cataloging what we refer to as points of interest. Okay. Now, a point of interest, really simply said, is any brick-and-mortar location. So we're okay. talking about a physical place here all right. where you would be able to go and actively engage with a particular group of people. Okay. So think a mosque, a temple, think a particular kind of restaurant or a, a dry goods store, a market, a fabric store. There's all kinds of different points mm-hmm. of interest. But – we realize that this is, this is pretty low-hanging fruit. You right. don't have to have some kind of degree in anthropology to figure this mm-hmm. out. If you just open your eyes and you start looking around and you see places that look very different uh, or it might be this kind of point of interest, well, just go in. Mm. And as you go in, there's a handful of simple questions you can ask about a place and start collecting this information in a way that develops for you over time really a map of your city and as you do that and you can kind of build a map out all these points of interest you start to see areas of concentration okay. that form and you'll see pockets in the city where particular people groups may exist They're strategic locations for engaging in the work so that led to the genesis of us trying to create a really simple way to do discovery okay. two or three questions we're going to we're going to ask when we go in a place uh, you know what what country Do you happen to be from Um, what language do you speak in the home or did your mother speak to you? We're after mother language here, right? Because if you're talking to them in English, Mm -hmm. they may look back at you and go, I speak English. I'm speaking it to you right now. Um, And so those questions, maybe some questions about religion, if we can get into a conversation Mm -hmm. that allows that. And you compile some of that stuff together and you start to get a sense of where these people may be from or what people group they may belong to. Uh, and over time, a picture begins to develop, and you don't really have to have a background in any of those people mm-hmm. groups to be able to do that kind of work. Um, so we did that.
1: Okay, and so D.C. now, so now I'm answering the question, "Who is here?" Yeah, by some type of point of interest, a brick and mortar location mm-hmm. that I then go in and ask some very simple questions. You know, where are you from? What language do you speak in the home? Um, you know, basic type of questions. It helps me begin to think. Okay, who's here? So pastor, church leader, normal church, small town, uh, you know, Virginia, small town, North Carolina, normal-sized city. All of a sudden, I'm thinking, how do I find, I find this point of interest. I'm asking the questions. Now what's happening?
0: Yeah. So here's the turn that we made. And this is the important part. When I say it's done well, this is what I mean. So as we were doing that work, we did the work. I had a team of researchers that were up there. We got well over a 1,000 points of interest over the course of that next year. We had this really beautiful map that we'd built for D.C. And so we had it, and then we said, all right, now that we've got all of this information, we've got this map, we're going to be able to go talk to all these churches uh, and engage them, get them engaged in the work of doing cross-cultural gospel ministry with these people groups. And so we did. We made the rounds with a bunch of churches that were in the area with all of this information in our hands. And... Time and time again. So here's the optimistic perspective. They were really kind of wrecked by the information. They were like, "Gosh, I had no idea." Mm-hmm. They were, they they saw it. They saw it had somewhat of an intellectual burden mm-hmm. that they developed, and there was this concern uh, for many of them. It was striking information. Mm-hmm. Yet after all of that work in D.C., not a single church actually engaged. Uh-oh. With the groups that we were trying to get them to engage with. Mm. Uh, Some kind of tried, but it always fell apart for them. And so that demonstrated for us discovery done poorly. Okay. Now here's what I mean, and this is the call that I'd make to the churches that you were just talking about. Um, We have found out the earlier you can involve the church itself in the actual discovery process, the more likely it is— To lead to continued engagement in gospel ministry, here's why. Okay, so if I went around and I'm the one that stopped in that point of interest and I met VJ, the Mm -hmm. guy that the shop owner, and VJ and I strike up a great conversation and I find out that VJ and his family moved here two or three years ago, uh, and he tells me that his daughter is in fourth or fifth grade, and she's just starting in her math homework now, and she's real confused by it, but gosh, he just doesn't know how to, how to help her. Right. Uh, and it would Because the, the textbook gets in English, and right. it's just a little too hard for him to understand how to help her, right? Um, I'm the one that has that felt need and that felt burden, mm. that relational connection with her. And I can go tell a pastor, I can go tell people in a mm. church about that, but that's not the same right. as inviting them in and they know VJ. Mm. They've developed a relationship with VJ, and they're the ones that hear that mm. call. And that relational connection is established that way. So if we do discovery in a way that actually goes ahead and creates relational ties with people, then it creates opportunities for continued gospel proclamation or opportunities for gospel min- uh, ministry to continue in those places. And so what we started doing was not discovery for churches, mm. but teaching churches how to do discovery. Yeah,
1: that's really good. Because sometimes you know a pastor might think, where do I get this information? And then we we spend all of our energy doing internet searches or looking Mm -hmm. for some organization, state convention, North American mission board to give me the data. But what you're saying is if that's how I make the discovery, I don't do anything about it. It's kind of a, a defeating process. But if I just take the simple step of me going to do it or getting mm-hmm. together several people, that actually begins to answer the second question as well, who's here, exactly. and then the second question, what do I do when they find them, naturally comes out, but it only happens when I'm the one that's doing it.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And so the call that I would make to so the listener that's hearing this and thinking, well, how do I start? So that church that you just mentioned, the answer, I think, is don't try to go out there and find somebody to give you information or a report. Right. That's not actually going to lead—that's that, going to lead to a good sermon illustration. Mm. But that's about the best you're getting out of that. Instead, if you can create a practice in your church Mm -hmm. of having people go into some of these places Mm -hmm. and begin to engage in conversation in such a way that they're, yes, you need that information so that you can develop a better picture Mm -hmm. of where you'd engage, you've done discovery by beginning engagement. Right. And in doing so, you're creating actual relational ties and connections, and hopefully, through this interpersonal engagement that your church members will, will do, mm-hmm. they begin to develop a burden for the very real human that is sitting across that counter. And they start to see, you know, mm-hmm. there is an opportunity for me to actually be able to communicate here and to engage and to learn about these people and start this process.
1: Yeah, that's really good. In fact, th- this makes a really good bridge to our episode a week ago when we talked about prayer walking, right? Exactly. We're praying uh, as we're praying in a community, as we're praying in a neighborhood, a park, around the school, We're asking God to give us his eyes, his heart Mm -hmm. for community. All of a sudden we see, we become aware of a different group of people or a different location. That then leads to this discovery. We're praying for these people. That opens the door for ministry. And so all of these tools begin to come together as we become more evangelistic and mission-focused people living sent wherever God has placed us. So Keelan, now from somebody who's done this and you've done this all across the United States of America, so Mm -hmm. that we're actually well within your area of expertise, what would be some next steps that you would recommend for pastors, church leaders, uh, folks in their church who are just developing this real heart for uh, mission-mindedness, evangelistic-mindedness related to these peoples next door?
0: Yeah, so real simple. Uh, one, don't overcomplicate this because okay. it would be real easy to overcomplicate it, and then the burden of what you created that's overcomplicated, you just don't do. Right. So don't do that to yourself. Start really small with this. Instead of making a big deal out of it, create a simple form. There's a lot of free ways to do that. You can do it on Google Forms. You can do it on Microsoft. There's all kinds of ways to create free forms now. But create a simple form uh, that people can pull up on their cell phone. On that form, you want to be able to collect some basic information, right? So name of the establishment, address. We're going to need the address to be able to map it. Uh, and then a couple of questions about like maybe the country that these people would be from, uh, like I said, the heart language they may speak a notes section, maybe a name section. Hey, did you talk to a particular person in there? Uh, And then teach people in your church how to use that form, Mm -hmm. and then release them to do this kind of work. Uh, Equip your members, help them understand how to use the form, and then... Send them out into areas. Find an area maybe mm. in your community. It may be a metro nearby. If you're in a rural area, there's maybe a major metro within an hour or two. Make a Saturday mm. out of it and find an area where this is a, a ripe opportunity. You, know, you can tell, okay, this is probably going to be a neighborhood where there is a lot of uh, different groups, and let people loose. Mm. Let them go in and start to engage in these conversations. And the beauty of doing it on an online form like that is Mm -hmm. everybody that submits information about whatever place they go into, it pools all that information into a spreadsheet. And then that spreadsheet's actually really, really easy to use on Google Maps. Mm. And you can visualize with your congregation later, hey, look at all the places that we went. And look at all the opportunities we now have in front of us. And so it starts to build over time. Into a into a clearer picture of areas where you actually have a chance to engage. And frankly, like this works with cross-cultural missions really hmm. well. It doesn't just work with cross-cultural okay. missions. You can actually engage in this kind of work if you're trying to get to know your community anyway. Right. a church plant to right. do this kind of work to start to develop. Uh, areas of receptivity or, or opportunities as well.
1: Yeah, thanks a ton. This is really helpful and it gets really practical. Hopefully if you're listening in and God has used this season and some of the, the conversations we've had this uh, podcast season to really lead you into wanting to be more mission-minded, mission-focused, evangelistic, uh, lead your church in that direction. What we've given you uh, is some real practical steps forward. Now, I would just make one uh Caution. One recommendation as you move in, don't do it all uh, at once. Trust the process. Yes, three or four conversations, you know, a week or two or three conversations a week builds a database very, very quickly.
0: Absolutely, it does. And
1: so you don't feel like you need to do it all at the same time. And as we do this, we trust the process. Then we trust the Lord is going to lead mm. us to the people, the opportunities. Uh, that we have. Because as we said in the beginning, right? ours is a missionary God and we're his missionary people. We serve him in a way uh, that is most faithful and most effective when we're following his leadership. So thanks a ton for joining us for this episode of The Scent Life. And we do pray that God would use this uh, as a way to send you into the harvest field because the fields really are ripe unto harvest. Thank you so much for tuning in for this episode of The Scent Life.